You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, and welcome to the Skylight Books Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Austin. I'm a bookseller in the store, and today we are excited to welcome Amy Fusselman to talk about her latest book, The Means, with Sarah Afkami. Amy Fusselman is the author of five books. Her latest, The Means, is her first novel. It will be published by Mariner Books on September 6, 2022. Fusselman's previous four books, all nonfiction, have been translated into several languages. Her work has been nominated for the Believer Book Award and the University of Iowa's Krauss Essay Prize. Her articles and essays have appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Washington Post, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, Miss, Art News, Artnet, and many other places. She lives in New York City with her family and teaches creative writing at New York University. Sarah Afkami is a writer and comedian originally from Austin, Texas, and raised by Persian immigrants. Sarah identifies as non-binary and loves examining modern culture and its effects on humanity. They've written for shows on Showtime, USA, TBS, FX, and Comedy Central. Sarah's stand-up is known for its childlike levity and cynical social commentary. Primarily based in Los Angeles, Sarah loves to read, garden, and spend time with their sweet life partner, Coco. Thank you so much both for being here. Uh, I was going to let Amy start us off with the reading and then let you two both uh, get into some deep conversation. Tyler, thank you so much. I thought I'd just read um, a couple pages from the beginning so that you can get a sense of um, you know, how we enter the world of my book. <laughs> um, so I'll begin. Must-haves, Japanese toilet, four beds, three baths, heated pool, heated floors, garage. At last, I'm going to get a beach house. Steps I have taken to get to this moment of beach house ownership. Born, childhood, college, married, George. George made dollars. George and I bought Lake House. A raccoon wedged its beefy body through a hole that we didn't know existed in the Lake House chimney guard. He fell down the chimney into the house when we weren't there and then spent a week drinking out of the toilet, jumping on the beds and smearing soot on every surface. He was like a coin that dropped into the slot machine of our Lake House, causing a riot of spinning fruits and ringing bells. We had no idea we were winning like this. We had no camera installed. Our observant neighbor at the lake called us at our apartment in the city to tell us about our jackpot. He advised us to call the wildlife control people, so I did that. And then the wildlife control people went out to the house and after three long days, they called me back and said, the bad news is that you have a raccoon in your house. And the other bad news is we can't get him out. Look at that, I said to George, who was sitting beside me in the kitchen in our apartment on West 27th Street in what we fondly referred to as the discount caftan and incense district. The wildlife control people can't control the wildlife, just like us. I then called different wildlife control people I had searched up, who knew there were so many of them in that little lake town like they were pizza joints. 
And these other wildlife control people must have been PhD level animal behaviorists because they opened our front door and put bait outside it. And just like that, our raccoon, because we did think of him as ours now, walked out the front door and back into his life again. And then I hope he drank many raccoon beers with his raccoon friends and told them all about the time he fell down a hole into a diff different world and went berserk there until a door opened and he walked out of it, a changed animal. Ooh, there's some words I wrote. <laughs> Sarah. Hello. I can, um, yeah, it just goes on from there. It's so nice to talk to you. I'm so excited to talk to you because um, I'm so, I love your work, A. And um, I love, I, I think we have a lot of overlap in what we are, are aspiring to do, what we want to do, how we view the culture, how we view art and the culture. And so it's just, I want to just thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, thank you for having me. I so enjoyed the book. I've reread it a couple of times and it just makes me laugh every time. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So let's start. Where should we begin? Laughter. You're a stand-up comedian. You write comedy for screen. I am not a stand-up comedian. I write books and sit in my apartment. <laughs> like, what can we say about comedy? Yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. What's your favorite kind of comedy? Like, what what do you usually get drawn to? Mm. Well, um, I feel like I've been a comedy lurker, like, for a long time, which is <laughs> why this book feels, I mean, it feels really rewarding because it's like, finally, I got to sort of address, like, my fandom of the form. I mean, not in, you know, just as, as best I could, like... Um, I think the thing that is so interesting to me about comedy and that I have, I mean, first I admired like sort of Netflix, you know, you think when you're watching Netflix special or whatever that you can figure out what they're doing, or at least I did, but it really takes a long time. At least it did for me against to like figure out what is going on up there. And the thing that of course draw drew me in immediately is that, that strange intimacy, you know, the intimacy is, I mean, that feels like, like home base for any, or for me as a writer, it's just like, that's where I want to be with you. You know what I mean? I want to be in that shared space of warmth of observation. And the thing about comedy versus, um, you know, writing more like, you know, tragic, sad, exploratory material in that way, is just that, you know, comedy has, there's just so much, the joy of surprise, just the enjoyment, the sheer enjoyment. I think like, too, just because I, um, you know, I started out like sort of writing these sad things that were more about trauma, about sadness. And it was like, what's going on over there in comedy? Like they are having so much fun. I want to do that. So I would say like the stuff I love is, um, has that, I mean, it, it's the voice. I mean, it's the voice. Comedy is voice driven for me too. If I don't like the voice, if I don't like, it's like, it's just immediate. You can sort of tell immediately. I don't know if the person's intellectual gymnastics can get me beyond that. It's like, is that warmth present? Like, where are they speaking from? Is that humanity there? Is that like compassion there? And it's bizarre that I feel even that I can 
make a judgment about that. But that's the beauty to me of the human voice is that you can. It's like the voice is like dancing, you know, like you betray yourself, you betray your whole self in the voice. And um, I, I do believe that even and the voice on the page as well. So it's like. Um, even if I guess, you know, but this is the thing about the performing, like even if the person's an axe murderer, like if their persona, you know, if they're fooling me with their like compassion and their warmth and their humanity and their whatever, like I'm there, I'm there for it. I mean, I accept the fact that it's a performance and I may not, you know, know the real human. And if I were to meet like ex comedian, you know, that I adore, I may be like, woefully disappointed but in terms of the performance of the material you know what I mean I need that I need those things to be present a hundred percent you know I, I remember a quote that is about like laughter is when something rings true in your soul mm, yeah right so feeling yeah like you're on the same page as someone's worldview in the first place and right. that, they, that they kind of occupy their mind and their hearts yeah it's that like I mean it's that sort of um, like lizard brain, you know, like laughter is just, it's such a, it's such a, you, you know, it's a, it's a physical response. Like it, there's so much, um, there's, there's so much joy in just being able to elicit that from people, you know, it's, it, um, it's true. It's just true. So it feels so good. And so cathartic. I mean, that's my favorite thing about my stand-up friends is we can really share the darkest truth <laughs> about our lives and our families. And the entire time we're we're laughing and kind of structuring it like it would be a bit. Right, right. I mean, I feel like too, it's this, you know, is I mean, gets into other elements of it, but it's so I don't understand like in the literary world, like why it's um it's still down, like viewed as down market. Like I'll never understand it. Like I read it. I read an interview once with Joy Williams, who is a, a writer I adore and think is a genius. And she described humor as being quote, overly desired. And I was like, how the, f not to knock her because again, I, I worship her, but like, just as a writer, you know, and a human, like, like life is so friggin' difficult right now. Like, how could it be over? What is about, how could that be overly desired? Like God willing, like we could laugh throughout our life, like every day, every second, you know, what a life that would be to just laugh constantly. I don't know. I don't understand it. It's like, it's like, it's, it's like, it's candy. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a distrust of it because it feels good. You know, it can't be good for us. It feels good. You know, I don't know. I don't get it. Well, there's also the idea that not all humor is created equal. I mean, I think we're True. talking about a very genuine, authentic sense of humor that comes from transmuting the pain. Yes. After enjoy. And so, you know, when maybe, maybe when she was kind of making her speaking about this, it was more about slapstick or goofy. I, I think a lot of times everything's conflated into one. Right. A poop joke is the same as, yeah, no, I get it. No, you're right. I shouldn't have called her out. I'm sorry. I was more yeah. thinking of my own. When, yeah. you know, we we're just talking about this, how sometimes when you're writing on the page, you know, you want a joke somewhere like to, mm -hmm. you know, appease whomever's reading it. So sometimes you know, there's low hanging fruit and then there's like the creme de la creme that's kind of right. at the top of the tree. Right. Really yeah. Metaphors here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
The creme to the poop, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's where we're going to go. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did the dog, if I may ask, like, how did yeah. this, the talking dog come to be? Cause that's one of my favorite components is Twix of the book. Right. Yeah. Well, let, just for, um, listeners, like the book is about this, you know, lady Shelly means who, um, really wants she her 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 she wants a beach house in the Hamptons. She's stressed. She's a stressed like stay at home mom, she's, and um she has this fantasy about like what she's going to be able to do at this beach house that she's going to be able to be let it all go and relax and you know finally 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 like feel like everything's okay for two seconds and um um I think the the dog it. I had a lot of fun with this book, like assembling the characters, which isn't something I've done before because this is my first novel. So the idea that, you know, the characteristics like people would have different characteristics. And I I was thinking, you know, there needed to be like a a a, a voice, like a, gra- a gravitas, like there needed to be somebody who was calling out all this insanity. And um I even though it's a leap and I was like, well, you know, I don't really know how to do like, I've never written a talking dog. I I don't know how I would feel necessarily about reading a talking dog, but I'm going to try this because it feels true. She adores this dog. And um, in my experience as a dog owner, like I do feel that my dog is of course, like a higher uh, on a higher plane and she loves poop. So there you go. It's all, it all comes from full circle. But um, yeah, so she is the moral voice of the story, just being like Shelly, like WTF, like, what are you doing? Like you're bananas, you know, like, why don't you get your shit together? And like, so, and it was really fun to like have her have the dog um, serve that. Yeah. A hundred percent. I thought it was just so brilliant because it brought levity and like you're saying, this moral context and kind of a compass to, to feel like you were, it gave it the self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So powerful. Like, and then it was like, I felt allowed to laugh at yeah. Shelly because I knew, you know, you were in on the joke. It was, yeah. just, it made it so much more powerful. I love that component. Oh. Thanks. Yeah. It's good to have a sidekick, you know, it was like, and I kept thinking of other, like, I was thinking of Snowy and Tintin a lot as I was writing. And I, I don't know, I'm not like a super versed in those comic books, but I certainly know the images from my kids having, you know, read them and we've had them all around the house. And like, I love Tintin as just being sort of this like crime helper, you know, he was just such a like, something's wrong, something's wrong, something wrong, you know, like uh, his little ears and he's so distinctive in his, you know, the way that um, he was depicted. And um, so I, I, I had that notion of the dog as like always sort of being on top of the fact that like things are, everything is awry. Yeah. And the fact that you even say in the book, you know, Shelley's like, that's not how Tintin would talk to Snowy. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did I? Yeah. It's Snowy that is the dog. I hope I didn't like say that. Oh, oh I may have just yeah, set up. No, reverse it. Yeah. 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 I know that. Yeah. Dogs. I mean, animals are, animals are fun. Yeah. They're, they're fun. Because um, they're so in the moment. They're so experiential. And here we are so deeply in our heads future tripping about yeah. the next thing that's going to make everything okay exactly inevitably no won't <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the chase the hunt like all of it yeah 
yeah mission is we're so ridiculous as a species yeah and it's good to sort of get out of it was good to fit to decide to make the observer of that like non-human because yeah when a human starts saying stuff like that you immediately kind of roll your eyes like oh shut up you know like we know we're not shut up you know but like when a dog says it somehow it's not so bad it's like yeah you're right yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So much more palatable than a cute dog. Exactly. Yeah. So true. And I also loved how through Twix we get a lot of the lay of the land of New York City. It's almost like mm. you know that that sense of just being in the hustle and bustle, the chicken bones. Yeah, I mean that is like actually you know an observation I was made as a dog walker was you know dogs do I had somebody tell me when when I got her like you know dogs really um, connect you to the earth I was like what you know what are you talking about like I'm here in Manhattan like there's no connecting to the earth like <laughs> well I'm on, I'm on top of this gruesome concrete but it's true in the sense that you know I um. I mean, they live for their, their, I mean, sniffing, they live for sniffing and they want to just sniff the most horrible shit. They want to sniff that dead rat. They do. They just want to, you know, they want to get in there to all that crap. And um, I was not aware of how many chicken bones were on the street in New York City until I got this dog. It's like unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The chicken. Oh, please. Big, big chicken. I was just going to say big chicken. It's a thing. I I mean, other people have written more um, eloquently about it. There's whole books about big chicken, but it's for real. Yeah. I love that. I also, I mean, just thinking about parenthood, parenting in New York, it's like parenting on steroids, I would imagine. I mean, do you have any mother friends from other parts of the country? And, and do you guys ever kind of address the the differences? Ooh, that, I mean, that's interesting. I don't, um, I don't have in some ways, like some of the, the mothering stuff of, of New York is so, I mean, as a, as someone who grew up mostly in the Midwest, like, I do feel like it's not, it's like what, you know, what happens in New York stays in New York, because <laughs> if you try to tell other people like the bullshit you're going through, they would just be like, are you kidding me? Like, get out of that town, you know, like there's no preparation in there was an, I had nothing prepared me for the tournament of trying to get my kids educated in this town. Like I would have, I just, it was jaw dropping. I mean, I, I, that's a whole other book, you know, I, it's like the, the, how our education system is so broken that it has to be like scratching and clawing. I mean, I literally, this is, I think this is funny, but it's like my first kid, we tried to sign him up at the reasonably priced, you know, preschool in, in Greenwich village and um, reasonable for Greenwich village. And the one reason why it was reasonable is that you didn't have to interview for it. Like you didn't have to go in there in your outfit with your like bag and like sit in front of some lady and tell her why you're not a crazy person. It was a place where you literally could go and sign up, which in this, which, I mean, and I know LA is like this too, but it's like, that's unheard of, like signing up for shit unheard of. So naturally these parents were getting outside this preschool, like line up the signup started at like 8 a.m people were in line at midnight i shit you not like i was out in the freezing cold one year 
in like my, you know, super down jacket outfit, like sipping coffee next to, I swear to God, these people, this couple, they were having like sex under a blanket next to me, like on Sullivan street. It was oh. insane. Yeah. Wait, were they also parents? They were yeah. fellow parents? Yeah. Parents. It was just like, it was nuts. You know, like we were like, we're all like sleep deprived. We're in this line, like trying to, it's not like we're getting tickets for, you know, whatever the grateful dead. It's like, we're trying to get her. I don't know what was going on. It just, yeah, it was insane. It was insane. <laughs> that sounds like a, a memory of uh, like a, someone else like a midwesterner depicting manhattan you yeah know I, mean? like I know exactly it's sex. like yeah it's like a fable i know like how bad is it you know just to try to get like some simple sir you know like you're gonna be in a room with like oh you know some like other two-year-olds to like sing a song and clap your hands well are you ready to stand outside in the freezing cold at 2 a.m with people who are fornicating because that's what you're gonna have to do like it's like oh my god anyway yeah off off topic um it feels all connected it's all connected it's so connected um, what I love about your comedy, Sarah, too, is that you are, um, I know that you're interested in turning that in, in mirroring, you know, putting that mirror up to like what we're doing, which is um, so fun and so dangerous, you know, it's, and um, especially around issues of identity. Like, are you, tell me what you're working on. Well, yeah, this uh, pilot about I mean, I was kind of encouraged to to talk about my gender identity issues and um, Mm -hmm. I'm still grappling with, for so long, I did feel that I identified more with the male experience, Mm -hmm. but then in retrospect, uh, being raised in um, two very different, but equally misogynistic cultures of Texas and Persian culture, Oh uh, I'm realizing that that there's a possibility that a lot of what I was feeling was actually internalized misogyny and a desire for a basic modicum of respect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and right. agency and free will. So it's it's definitely been an ongoing journey. Um, I, I mean, in to me, in a perfect world, and this kind of speaks to the means as well, it's like all the labeling that we do, how much we're so eager to reduce one another just for shortcuts. I don't know, to save time. I guess we're all busy. It's 2022. <laughs> exactly. Of- Who are you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Check. Yeah, exactly. All of humanity. Check. Yeah. Exactly. Even the binary of like politically, it's like, oh, edgelord, alt-right person yeah. that I can't associate with. And right. And it's like, so I, I think it's just so interesting to really look within and, and be like, can we perceive each other as these expansive souls uh, rather than just these labels and, and limitations? I think we're so quick to want to limit one another as far as what mm. we bring to the table, what we're about. So, um, yeah, that I mean, it's it's a little more autobiographical than I would like. So I'm even considering <laughs> a pen name. <laughs> oh, hell yes. Let's go. What's your, what? I read something in the New York Post this weekend and I was like, is this real? Um, what was her name? This reporter's name. I loved it. Wait, it was, um, it's like the first name was Francesca. Oh, like Francesca Bacardi. Ooh. Isn't that a great name? 
I was like, you could do anything, just some like Valentina, like Casamigos, like any kind of like any, you know, liquor name, second name and sort of beautiful Italian name, first name. I was like, that's totally my pen name. Very saucy. I love it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, yeah. That's um, pen. Yeah. Pen names are cool. Wait, I was just going to ask you something. It was, um, I like that you're, I know the, the, it's like location, like where, how much of this is local culture? Like what even is local culture? Like, I know I'm in New York. You're mostly in Los Angeles. I know you're in New York now, but which are two, you know, aside from like the commuting um, differences and the weather, you know, they're largely a lot that the towns are similar in many ways. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think it draws the same kind of people that I mean, look, and obviously people that grew up there, it's a different story because they were born Mm -hmm. there. So that's a different, but the carpet baggers, if you will, uh, you know, a lot of maybe wanting to prove something. I I, I think some underlying desire to like, I don't want to say everyone has a chip on their shoulder, but this Mm -hmm. make something of yourself to kind of to, to voluntarily get in on the status game is so fascinating. Oh, well, then that brings up because I think you have such an amazing um, backstory. Like, please tell the listeners, like, how you came to, like, writing comedy in L.A. Oh, about the politics. So I was yeah politics. I mean, I'm talking like the Lewinsky scandal was like one of my first memories. Like I would (laughs) scurry home from the bus, the school bus and like watch the coverage of that. And I so that was kind of always I, I just kind of thought that was the world I wanted to live in. And so then in college, I actually interned on Capitol Hill and was extremely turned off by the uh, pomp and circumstance and the the hierarchy that was pretending to not be there. There was this guise of like nobility mm. uh, and like, oh, the the greater good, this, this pretension that I just could not stomach because it felt so false. Mm-hmm. So then I, I really, you know, I changed my mind about law school because I was, that was the whole point was to get the JD to swim in that world. And um, Mm -hmm. then I just kind of interned uh, my last summer of college in LA and kind of, it kind of was like a slippery slope. I don't know. I won some contests with NBC and then it just kind of fell into it a little. Yeah. You're like, wait, this is my tribe is different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I was like, well, if I'm going to be around power hungry bloodsuckers, at least look <laughs> active and self-aware because those are two priorities. Nice. Nice. I love it. That's brilliant. That's um. well, I, I can't wait for your memoir. That's like a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. That pen name or not. Yeah. <laughs> I also loved the voiceover, uh, George's voiceover career being in there. Yeah. Voiceovers. <laughs> It's so weird. It is very weird. I mean, yeah, my partner Frank has done some voiceover work, which is how I know about that world at all. But it's like that those the the money for that work that's available is insane. Like that you understand now when or that I think I understand when people get like those voiceover gigs for movies. It's like it's like they won the lotto. Do you know what I mean? Like holy crap. 100 yeah. percent and the, the the hierarchy of like the types of things I, that was that really made me laugh where george was like my voice is too regular i might not even get to cars 
Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Somebody asked me, is that true? And I was like, I don't know if that's actually true, but it seems true. Do you know what I mean? Like as an observer, it's like, do you have a voice that could sell a Cadillac? Because that's got to be worth more than a voice that can sell like, you know, a bacon cheeseburger somehow. You know what I mean? It's like, what's your voice? If we're talking about the qualities of the voice, like, yeah, what can you actually sell with that? You know, it's horrible. It's horrible. But it's, yeah. And the side effects of big, the big pharma, what was the name of the product? Oh, oh, some, something Aplex. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not recalling it exactly, but it's like, yeah, there's a stomach. He, he goes to like do a voiceover of a stomach drug and then he has to read the, um, yeah, the side effects. And of course it's like this horrible mouthful of garbage and he keeps, he can't do it properly. And I know those, when you hear those VO things, it's, I'm always like, they have to be speeding that up in the, um, because no human can talk that fast, you know, it's like insane. hundred percent, especially the ones that are for antidepressants. And it's <laughs> yeah. effects, suicide. Whoops. Exactly. 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 <laughs> but I'm bummed. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, well, I, um, you're performing in New York soon, like probably not before this podcast will air, but are you also going to be performing stand up in LA? Are you... Yes, yes. I, you know, it is funny that just a few Zoom shows, early pandemic, certainly um, can leave a bad taste in your mouth. Even when it goes well and people reach out <laughs> afterwards, you're like, well, I was. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Why is Zoom comedy such a fail? What's the, pre- do, is it the human presence in the room? What is the deal? Absolutely. Well, I think also it was a little better. I, I did a few where it was like streamed on, um, what is that? The the one that everyone watches uh, video games on. Oh, Twitch. Yes, it was yeah. streamed on Twitch. So that that experience was better because you're getting immediate feedback. So mm-hmm. people would like laugh and like, I mean, <laughs> Lol. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like an LMAO over yeah. silence. <laughs> so exactly. That, that helps. But the immediacy is what makes it so it's it's a dialogue. Yeah, right. So And actually, I recently watched uh, Janine Garofalo at the stand. Oh, and it was, I would, yeah, I heard that was great. Yeah, it was so great because she would basically check in with, you know, say like she had some jokes that were maybe over the heads of the the people in the room, like double ARP people aren't so familiar with. Um, but so she would level, she would kind of ground herself and just pick one audience member and make direct eye contact and be like, why did I lose you guys? Ooh. And it was powerful. It would bring the room back. Yeah. And we'd all feel present again. So I, I do think there's this experiential immediacy that that's makes stand up magical. So it was almost like you were stripping the magic away. Well, that's from- so interesting because it's all like like crowd work. Crowd work is its own like, you know, genius. And just to be like, fuck crowd work. Like, how would I lose you? Do you know what I mean? Just to like say it nakedly. That's beautiful. Yeah. It was powerful. It Good was for her. Yeah. And she was so kind. It was so nice to see how kind she was. Like you were saying, kind of like mm-hmm. meeting, sometimes meeting your heroes is gratifying. Yeah. Oh, good. Wow. Shout out to Janine. That's nice. Um, <laughs> I met her like a million years ago in Boston when she was like dating a roommate of somebody I knew. So did, did whatever, you approve, whatever that means. Did you approve of the coupledom? Were they a good match? They were a good, I, yeah, her, who, the boyfriend was super cute. I can't remember his name now, but yeah, she had good taste for sure. Yeah. 
Oh, that's so nice. By the way, it's Placatrex. Placatrex. Oh, Placatrex. Yes, Placatrex. <laughs> yes, Placatrex. Yeah, Plac. And hemorrhoids. Of course, hemorrhoids is one of the side effects. Wonderful. Of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Twig, yeah. Got to get the, the dog, the, the, the poop in there. Yeah. <laughs> One of the one of my old bosses, the showrunner, would always say uh, he would call me left left turn Sally because I make big jumps. Like I'll, I'll think, I think hemorrhoids, and then I get to the bathroom experience, to the bidet, the Japanese toilet, and then yeah. I want to ask you, how would you say Japanese humor is different than American humor? Oh my God, that's such a good question. I don't don't know the answer to that, but I'd love to. I mean. You know, this it's been, you know, lots of people have written and observed about the sort of like the mask of, you know, that it's hard to penetrate Japanese culture as a non, you know, Japanese person. And um, I definitely like in my time and experience there was acutely aware of the fact that I was, you know, didn't speak the language and was an outsider. But um, so I don't actually know. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I. I would like to know more about Japanese humor. I don't know. I'm trying, I'm wearing like my ramen sweatshirt, like still <laughs> right now, like my Japan, I'm so, I'm a total Japanophile and I, I'm woefully ignorant. And maybe that's, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, re- um, I remember my mother was there um, for the cherry blossom tour. Oh, not cool. Long ago, and she, some of the, the two things she really was like, that struck, uh, stuck out were the lack of trash. Mm. And oh. clean. Yeah. And that, the quietness and also apparently like it's very actually rude to like guffaw loudly guffaw like you're supposed to cover your mouth yeah yeah my goal is my family knows this is that I want us to all go back there with my daughter next summer like to do a Tokyo I don't know if that's possible for us but I would like to try um I there's like I have just all these distinct memories of yeah of it's so amazing it's just such an amazing place I hope uh, COVID will um, let let that happen for us. Absolutely. Um, That's how I, but you know, I mean, just for origin story purposes, yeah. you always are polite to call me your friend, but I was actually your groupie because I read Savage Park. <laughs> but Sarah, oh, but like, you, you, you know, but you're a colleague. You're not, you're, yeah. I mean, I'm, sm- I'm smart enough, let, let's say that, to recognize a colleague in a groupie. There we go. <laughs> you. <laughs> You're, you were, you were, you were, um, I unmasked you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I have, oh, this is what I was thinking of. Did you see that article Jason Cinnamon wrote in the New York times about like, does comedy need an audience? I should have, this is on, on like, it was a while ago, but it, but just cause we were talking about like zoom and comedy and like the um, performing on zoom, like he brought up, of course, like Bo Burnham, and um, the canned laughter in that. And, but the notion of like, and then another, oh, the Norm MacDonald special, which mm-hmm. was like, and so he was bringing up this idea of like, what happens if comedies just like, cause for so long, the currency of comedy has been laughter. Like, you know, and I know writers as well who not many, it's like David Sedaris, like, like actually works as a comedian in the sense, in my view, in the sense that, when he's on tour and he tours like a comedian, like um, maniacally, like so many stops that he takes notes, you know, when did they laugh? Like he actually um, edits the text, like based on the feedback, which is how a comedian works. Like, how did that joke hit? 
did it hit? Did, how did I lose you? You know, like that kind of the laughter is a barometer. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, that's my understanding of it. Like, did it a hundred percent? Did it resonate? Yeah. Yeah. So the idea that he would ask this question, like, is there going to be comedy without if, what if we change how a joke, like the success of a joke is viewed, I thought was really interesting. And yeah. that sort of, that sort of leads to like my book in the sense that, you know, it's 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 I think of it as a comic novel. It's comedy. Do I do I know how the jokes land? No, I will not know. I'll read, you know, if I screw my courage up, I'll read some reviews, you know, eventually. But like, yeah, there's that space. Like it's different, you know. Can you imagine like like what that would look like for joke telling. I mean, you do that because you write for the screen. Right. It is. It's such a different kind of itch that it scratches. Right. Because. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny when I like something's on air right now that I wrote so long ago. And oh, what? Uh, it's Bird- called Bird Girl. It's Bird on Girl. It. Yeah. Go Max and Adult Swim. And I, I just kind of like don't even recall. It's just it's so interesting because that's a very different experience. It's like. There's such a delay. I mean, especially with animation, because there's, you know, it goes, I think Korea is where they do their actually draw everything. Um, but yeah, with, with, I mean, I guess these days now likes are a huge currency. Likes right. Right. That's how, you know, yeah. Did the internet lol? Then it's funny. Yeah. Right. I know. Are you on Twitter? I'm not even, I, ha- I was on Twitter and then I had to take it off. Cause I was like, I don't really, it's just not my medium. I'm not a quipper. I have no quips. And then if you can't quip, then you're like too tempted to like start, you know, a barroom brawl. Are you on it? I mean, I have an account, but I really am not active on it. I agree that it's kind of a mental health issue. Like, I'm not looking to bicker with strangers online. And I don't mean to reduce it to that. And I know you do it, but I think I'm not interested in my my opinions living on the Internet forever either. I I think I'm I'm kind of constantly evolving my perception of life and what it's about. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It's I mean, I know some people live and die by the by the tweets and they're so good at it, but it's just not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about that other quote about cleverness, like that cleverness can sometimes conceal the truth. Mm. Like, yeah, Yeah. quippy puns are fine for like, yeah, you know, when I want that real, I want to get that like guffaw against your will. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You got it takes a few more characters, right? Exactly. Or off. I mean, yeah, I, I know. It's, um, yeah, just well, wasn't it, my. Right. Yeah. You were on it for a while and you just didn't like. I, I was on it for my last book and I, I felt like, you know, those, maybe this predates you, but those, there was those chipmunks, like Warner Brother chipmunks who are always like apologizing to each other. Like, oh no, after you, after you, after you. I just felt like I was sort of, constantly like thanking people for and bowing and like I didn't I just did not know how to conduct myself and I was like it's it's just not right for me yeah right 100 percent. it's funny I was just listening to some comedian talk about how during the pandemic he was doing rooftop shows oh cool and that it really started to it really reminded him of the idea that like stand-up comedy and mental illness can be (laughs) close to oh my god streaming into the ether exactly hello 
Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, writing can feel like that too. That I mean, that's why I'm, yeah, I'm such a, I guess like partly why I'm such a stand-up fan because it's like the angst of writing is just, is like in your face with stand-up. Like you're watching somebody who actually wrote their shit, like get up and speak it to people who would just sit there and like, you know, eat a peanut or whatever. It's like all the demoralization, you know, of not being understood. Yeah. It's like, I'm a fan. I'm just a total fan. Right. And I mean, I think there's also, there's a power in bombing too. Obviously crushing is great. Crushing is always the the preference, Yeah, but there's something that can happen. It does thicken your skin Mm -hmm. in a beautiful way, because I think, I think it is important for humans to overcome some of those lizard brain needs. Mm-hmm. Are we really going to do anything substantive and, and um, important if we're constantly worried about what people think of us? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I try. I have a. Um, I bought a poster for our our door for my base. I bought this for myself and for my kid who's thirteen and you know very concerned. I mean about other people right now as is you know, developmentally appropriate, but it says sucks ass is the first step to success. And I'm like, fuck yes. Yeah. Like just embrace sucks ass, you know, just embrace it. Yeah. I love that. There's the, the, yeah, some Gen Z people say like, it'll be cringe until it's not. Exactly. Embrace the cringe. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. Totally. (laughs) Oh, I bet your kids are truly, I, they are so lucky to have you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And vice versa for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. So have you been, um, I know you've been in New York writing. Have you seen any performance or seen, done any comedy here that you're excited about? I know you saw Janine. Is there other stuff that you've seen lately? I saw, also saw Mark Normand. Uh, I found to be really interesting because he, he actually, I, I mean, I, I don't want to butcher anything, but definitely those, I love the jokes that are very visual and then also kind of suggesting a solution, uh, a creative out of the box solution mm. for our, the ills of society. I mean, I, I won't butcher it, but it was basically just the idea that uh, when, you know, with a wedding, people can come and say, no, no. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. So you basically suggested that for purchasing a gun, like the, the loved ones should be around and like, Oh my God, that's brilliant. Yeah, totally. Totally. I know. It's like, I don't know. There's something right now about the times too, that it makes the micro feel really sacred. You know, there's something like you read the news, it's just so, or whatever, everything feels out of control and you can't do anything. And it's just one disaster after another, including of course, climate change. And um, it makes those small interactions that I have, you know, in my neighborhood, like feel really important. Like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, we have to like ground in, um, in place, I guess. And maybe that's where like, you know, it was fun to write, or to write. I guess that's partly like Shelley's, you know, my narrator's drama in this book is that it's the idea of just like elsewhere, it's going to be better elsewhere. <laughs> you know, it's just that sort of human tendency to be like, I'm just going to get the hell out and go to the Greek islands. And that's where it's going to all be happening, you know, and it'll all be better. And it's like, what is it? It's Voltaire. It's like Tender Garden, you know, just it's what can we do? Tender Garden. And yeah, I'm a, I, I, it feels like a, a good time for that message. hundred percent. It, it's, 
I, when we read the news, you're right. It's like this it's like macro, just the ennui and, and chaos and just, it, it's so crippling. Yeah. And that's, what's cool about humor is that it, you know, that's like, it's the specificity that makes a joke work. You know, it's like, we, you have to get down to the micro to get funny. Yeah. You have to put your nose in the poop. Yeah. <laughs> to get to the funny, you do. Definitely. And then, you know, compost it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a funny book. I can't, I I'm actually going to let my mom borrow one of my copies. I already have two. So I'm very excited. Awesome. I really appreciate it, Sarah. And, and would I, you, oh, I, I see that we have like a time for one or two more questions, if I may. Sure. I was going to say how it's so interesting about, you were talking about your 13 year old. I mean, like how this new generation, I don't know, is it even, is it Gen Z or whatever's after Gen Z, but how are they interacting with the world? Are you seeing the effects of technology on the way they handle just day-to-day problems and life? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was at a, um, I mean, of course it's like, you know, their phone adjacent. I mean, (laughs) and, um, I went to a, a school, an event in my kid's school last night or two nights ago, and they were talking about, it's still, you know, they're talking about the fact that the phone technology is over the parent, it's over our heads. Like we're dealing with stuff we don't understand. And it's still kind of, um, you know, how do we bridge this gap between like parenting children well, and um, also, you know, letting them have access to this amazing you know technological thing that we've done and it's like very strange I mean it's just a very strange I'm grateful though that it's a time where the adults are more open to the fact that they don't know what they're doing you know that's what I was thinking like in my parents day it just would have been like what the fuck we're older we know what's going on and now it's 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 I think it's okay that the parents are like we're doing the best we can but actually we don't really know what we're doing you know like I think that's better for everyone Right. It's humble. It's a humble, it's coming from a very humble place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. More humility all around. Yeah. Yeah. Everything got to be better. Yeah. Because everything's changing at such a rapid pace. I mean, I see three-year-olds on phones and I'm like, they certainly know how to use Photoshop already. Oh, for real. Yeah. They're, they're doing their taxes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Turbo tax. They're filing. (laughs) Exactly. Right. That's hilarious. I actually got a call from my accountant right before we jumped on. (laughs) Oh, nice. I did something incorrectly. I uploaded something incorrectly. (laughs) Uh, uh, Got to know the technology. Exactly. Sarah, I was going to say, maybe one of your kids could help. (laughs) I know. If you pay her, I'm sure they'll, yes, my daughter would be happy to. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my God. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me for this. I really appreciate it. It's just always so much fun to talk to you. Thank you. I had a blast. I can't wait for everyone to read your book. It's hilarious. Get it today. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I'm psyched um, to come to LA. I'll be, I don't know if the podcast will be out before I'm there, but I'm, I'll be uh, at Diesel and Chevaliers on <laughs> September 30th and October 1st. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you both so much. That was phenomenal. Yeah. If, if hopefully this comes out before then, uh, if not also when you're LA, Just stop it. by yeah. Skylight Books. Signing. You get your book. Yeah. At, at, yeah. Come to Skylight Books at 1818 Vermont. Uh, cool. you can come visit the shop. Uh, and thank you both so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yay. Thank you so much. So fun. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Talk to you later. Happy Friday. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.